in a series, and we just titled it Marriage. Um, we've got a lot to cover, so I want to jump right into it. Uh, Wall Street Journal ad, even this last week, I read it, went this way. Young people are choosing to delay getting married, if at all, today. That was the headline. Young people are choosing to delay getting married, if at all, today. So I read down through the article. It happens to capture my attention because we're talking about marriage right now. Because we're talking about that, anything that I'm reading captures my attention. It captured it real quick. Um, I just read through it, skimmed it, got my attention. They gave several cited reasons for why people were delaying marriage. But the one that stuck out to me, and I put it in your notes right here, here's what young people said was the number one reason for delaying marriage today. Number one, they listed several reasons, but number one was the lack of joy that they saw in their parents' marriage. And the subsequent divorce that came from a marriage without life. That is pretty, that, that's an indictment, yes or no? I mean, that's a pretty sad statement. I read that, and it's, that's a grieving process. How many of you know? I didn't, I didn't say how many of this is true in your marriage, but how many of you know it's not supposed to be boring in marriage? Amen. Guys, you missed a real... <laughs> Good opportunity right there. I'm going to try it one more time just for your sake. Ladies, just with, you know us, we, we, things get our, there were shiny things behind me that got your husband's attention. That's all that happened. Now he's focused. He's very focused right now. We'll try one more time. How many men know it's supposed to be exciting? Amen. Yes, yes, there. That's, I love that. What a spiritual church we have. I mean, mine are just on it. <laughs> so I, I, as I'm studying, uh, Wednesday morning is my study time. And this week, you know, we finally end up with good Colorado weather where it's just beautiful. So I go out in my backyard and I've got this perfect study place where I, I, we've got this little fire pit thing. I just sit out there and it's just, it's just a beautiful place to hang out. And while I'm out there, I'm trying to listen to the voice of God and what does he have to say. And I'm praying about this bored marriage issue because it really bothers me. I know it's not supposed to be that way, but I know how it is. Chris and I on our next anniversary will be number 30. To say that, that, it's, that it's just exciting every day, that would not be a true statement. You have to keep it exciting. Yes or no? So it's just not automatic. It's not, it, it, you can't put it on cruise control, automatic pilot. It's just going to be that way. You've got to do things that make it exciting. So I'm just talking to God about this. This is what I felt like the Lord told me. So it's from my backyard, Monday 6-3-13. Uh, I just put down a God-wild marriage. I didn't know any other way to say what I felt like God was telling me. Here's what I felt like a word of the Lord is about the marriages in the church. God wants your marriage to be wild, adventurous, full of anticipation for each other and what lies ahead. God created your marriage to be the main vehicle for you to experience his extravagant love, forgiveness, and power. Yes or no? It's the truth of the matter. If you really get marriage... Now, I'm not just saying marriage in the world, because the world doesn't get what I'm about to say. But if people that are born again, who love Jesus, who know God, if they get marriage, then they understand God himself uses the vehicle of marriage to describe the relationship between us and him in human terms. He uses marriage. It's a, it's a very spiritual principle, but we, we, we are physical creatures. I, now, I know we have a spirit in us, but we live in a physical world, correct? And so in order to get us to understand certain principles, God will use things that we can relate to. So he uses marriage to help us understand the relationship between us and him. In other words, the way it plays out this way is much the way it plays out this way. And if you're bored this way, I bet you're bored this way. 
Now, you know the problem with doing this right here is that those that are listening on the DVD or CD, the DVD, they see it, but the CD right now are like, what is, what is this and what is this? This is vertical and horizontal. Um, it's, it's <laughs> at, at each of our campuses, so we've got, we've got, you know, Lakewood is, is in right now, Castle Rock's in right now, and Highlands Ranch, and those that are online. So everybody's tuning in, all of our campuses and here at Lone Tree. You're, you're all hearing me talk about this. I, I would say to you, embracing the idea that first and foremost, there, there's two different marriages in the world. There's the marriages of this world, and then there's the marriages that God, people of God understand. Do you get what I mean by that? So I'm going to go after talking about Marriages that people of God would understand tonight. That's what I'm going to try to teach on a little bit. So Ecclesiastes 9.9 from the message uh, uh, says this. Solomon wrote, relish life with the spouse you love. I love that word. Relish life with the spouse that you love. Now, now that could mean a couple of different things from him. He had about 500 wives. So he happens to mention with the one that you love. I'm not sure if that meant of the 500, he picked one that he loved. Or... Let's look at it how it should be. The one you're married to. Relish life with. Yes? I, I'm not doing a fair job as a pastor if I don't bring that out. Right? Okay. All right. Let's, let's do this. All right. So under transition, what you didn't hear on your wedding day. That's what we're going to title this. What you didn't hear on your wedding day. Now, here's, here's what I think happens. I've done better than 300 weddings. I don't know. I lost count a long time ago. This is my 27th year as a full-time pastor. I lost, I, I, I used to do more than 20 weddings every year when I was an associate pastor. And I lost count a long time ago. I'm not sure how many weddings I've done. But somewhere, I can say this to be a fact, that in, in all of the weddings that I've done, uh, somewhere in them, I always try to teach the idea of it's got to be right this way for it to be right this way. At somewhere in every one that I've ever done, all the way back to the beginning when I started to the last one that I did just a few weeks ago, it's got to be right this way in order to be right this way. Using Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll show you here in just a moment what I mean by that. But what I did was I took uh, your campus pastor, Marcus and Amy, which is a wedding that just happened, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And um, I, I thought it would be a great example because they are your campus pastors for you. See, So here, here's, this is what it sort of looks like when I do a ceremony. Not exactly in every one, but it sort of looks like this. So just take a look at this. You both have to play a role inside of this marriage. We'll talk about your role in a moment, Marcus. Yours, honey, is this. This man takes the place of your father this day. The role that you're going to play in his life is that you're going to voluntarily go from independence to interdependence with him. I commit you this day that that's what your role is, that you're to be a support to this man and allow him to be literally your leader. Allow him to be your head. Allow him to be person that God's called him to be. You want to fulfill your role? Practice it this way before you practice it this way. If you put Christ as your priority in your life and in your relationship, you'll have a point of view of what it's supposed to be like when you go to your husband. Marcus, the truth of the matter is the love that you need to love her with in order to protect that vulnerability, to protect that submission, to allow her to come into that relationship, you've got to have supernatural love in your heart, the love of God. That love never says, I love you if, or I love you when, or I love you, will you. That love says, no matter what happens from this point on, I love you. Son, I charge you this day to love my daughter that way. Here's what I'll tell you. You want to have that love in your heart? 
then you need to receive it from God to be able to give it to your bride. You can't go home and practice it. You must receive it from him. Receive unconditional love for him. Receive the Father's heart so that you can give that love to this woman. I charge you this day, your greatest desire, your greatest goal should be one thing and one thing only now. You are called to be a blessing and a leader to this woman. Do it with the love of God, Marcus. So basically, in all ceremonies, somewhere in there, I take the Ephesians 5, I'll read it here in a second, and I talk about God's blueprint for a marriage, but I'm telling people, here's, here's what it really, what God is saying to us. It's the relationship this way that he wants us to get so that we can play it out this way. Yep. So we don't, you can only give what you have. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. You, you can't give what you don't have. It, it, tonight in my pocket, if somebody said, hey, I need $100, hey, <laughs> I could want to give it to you. I could will it in my heart to give it to you, but if I don't have it to give, I can't give it, right? I can want to, but I can't if I don't have it. I must have it to give it. So then it becomes then the very issue of what I'm saying. What couples miss is they're so nervous on that day. Rebecca, you remember, you were a beautiful bride. We did your wedding at a state park in Kentucky. What a, what a fun place to do a wedding. What I know is that the bride puts so much into having it be the perfect day. And the groom, he's just shell-shocked. He doesn't know what he's, he's just like, how did this happen? What, what is going to happen? And how am I going to pull this off? And so they're standing there and they're listening. And it's like, the, remember the Charlie Brown thing? Wah, 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 wah. It's like what, it's the pastor's just going on and on and on. And I, the couple, I think the couple are agree. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, get over with this. We got a honeymoon to get to. Let's go <laughs> and just get this done. So I, I totally get it. But what I, what I would say is most people, if you could go back and hear your vows after being married for eight years, what would you hear that you didn't hear eight years ago? Yep. Everything. everything. <laughs> That's, it's the truth, isn't it? <laughs> You'd hear everything. Because I think you're just, you don't hear it at the time. You don't catch it. And in fact, maybe it would be beneficial. What, what would you do after eight years of what you know about marriage? What do you know now that you didn't know then? It just changes everything, doesn't it? All right, so Ephesians 5, let me read it to you real quick. It begins with wives in verse 22. Paul writes this, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to who? So also wives should submit to their own husbands in everything. All right, so notice what he says. He gives directions for how a wife is supposed to interact with her husband, but then he ties it to the spiritual principle of the way you do this with the Lord is how you do it with your husband. He's smart enough to recognize he doesn't send any woman home with the idea, submit to your husband the way that you think best. Yep. Yep. So, I don't expect many amens over that, but it would help to get some, just anything right now. He doesn't, he doesn't go, lady, the way you think you should do it you, here's how you do it. The way you're in relationship with Christ and the way you submit to him, that's the model for how you submit yourself to your husband. So then we come back to the spiritual principle. Unless you're doing it this way, how can you do it this way? Right. You can't give what you don't have again. All right, so the most unfair, lopsided relationship in history would be if Paul stopped right there and gave no direction to husbands. Do you agree? Yep. If all he told women was to submit themselves. Because then you'd have some jerk husband who would just abuse his wife's heart. Yep. Men don't get it. It's not intentional. We just don't get it. We're not creatures of tenderness, mostly. Unless we want something. That's, that's different. 
So he goes like this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself, a resplendent church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So again, God gives direction to the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. If you are a believer, then you're the church. So here's what he's saying. As you experience unconditional love, that's how you love your wife. So if you're not getting it this way, how can you ever love this way? Here's what you're doing. You're going out of here loving the way you saw your father love. Or how you saw it done on a... So we, we tune into Oprah to figure out how to do marriage. Has it ever dawned on anybody she's not married? Just a thought. Being married does give you a different perspective on how to be married. So I had a pastor friend who wrote a book on raising kids. This is a true story. But he did it before he had kids. Then he has kids. God is my witness. He bought back every book that he sold to his church. Every book. Because he said, everything I wrote was wrong. I don't know anything about it until I do it. Well, the same thing is true for marriage. So much advice is given on marriage. But how about this? Be married before you say anything. And then do it God's way before you comment on it. Would that just not be halfway wise? So throw out then the idea that... Um, if I was going to tonight talk to couples that are already married and maybe consider themselves to be in decent marriages, good marriages, maybe, maybe when I talk about bored marriages, you define yourself in that somewhat. You know what I did is I wrote down in my own personal notes and I thought maybe I should read this real quick. Let me, let me tell you who I'm talking to tonight. You have a regular marriage if, a regular marriage, not a bad marriage, not a poor marriage, not a below average marriage. You have a regular marriage if, let me just read this to you. You have trouble ever engaging emotionally with your spouse. That just makes you regular. It doesn't make you below average. It doesn't mean that you're, that you're stunted. It makes you a human, probably male. <laughs> So you have a regular marriage if you know your spouse will not make you happy all the time. You learned that one yet? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that chuckle was back there, but I'm going to assume it's coming from somebody who knows what I'm talking about. How about this? You have a regular marriage if you know you can't make your spouse happy all the time. You have a regular marriage if you don't know the future and can't control what may happen. Yes or no? You have a regular marriage if you know circumstances change and you have little control over some events in life, including what another person does and doesn't do. Marriage is always based on two people in agreement. How about this? You have a regular marriage if you know you are limited in your power to forgive someone else. I'm going to say this again. If you don't get forgiveness this way, how do you ever give it this way? And if you're married, tell me you've not been offended, please. The only one who would raise their hand is someone who got married this morning. 
And then my question is, what are you doing here? <laughs> you got problems. Get out of here. Yeah, all right. Here. So you have a regular marriage if, listen, listen, you have a regular marriage if you know it's difficult to love when feelings aren't engaged. Anybody? You have a regular marriage if you have experienced rejection by a spouse and you don't know how to handle it. You have a regular marriage if you don't know how to build and maintain a joyful home all the time. Does it not make us regular and normal people when that happens? All right, so who am I talking to? People who would identify with what I just said. You could be here tonight considering your marriage to be, man, it's my priority and I love God. And pastor, I agree with you. I'm with you on this, but it still makes you normal. I hope you're here because you want to learn something. All right, so if I was going to talk then, what do I know after 30 years? What have I learned? By the way, Chris and I are both going to teach next week. We, here's what we titled it, Under the Covers. So when we knew, it would be salacious. Get your mind out of the gutter right now. If my wife is up here with me, you recognize it's going to be ultra clean. I'm sorry, fellas. I apologize. It would have been much better if it was just me. Um, well, at least on certain end of things. Okay, so um, it's going to be on things. Here's what we're going to talk about next week. On things that we've learned that make it work. On that whole engaging feeling issue, you know you go through seasons in life where your feelings aren't engaged. How do you get through those times? Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Isn't it funny how our treasure can end up at different places at different times? And we're totally into it, but not into what we were into, including our spouses. How do we shift it back over there? So we'll talk about that next week. I think maybe we can give you some stuff. All right, so if I was going to talk today then, what I know, what I would say to people, what you didn't hear on your wedding day, what I'm trying to explain with this Ephesian scripture, uh, I used a quote by T.S. Eliot, the poet. Here's what he said, in my end is my beginning. It probably sums up perfectly what I would try to say today. So let me just jump on it and say it. We begin the journey. See if you can agree with this. We begin the journey by deciding the destination. How many of you are going to take a summer vacation? Raise your hand. How many of you know what a vacation is? How many of you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth right now? Hey, this is the first service that's supposed to be like with me. I'll try this one more time. How many of you may go on a vacation in the next 10 years? There, hey, wow, hit it, okay. How many of you just like vacations? There we go, now we're getting someplace. All right, how many of you would consider this to be the height of insanity? Pack the car to the gills. Get all the kids in the car, in their seats, ready to go, and then look at your spouse and go, where are we going? <laughs> How many of you would consider that to be not the vacation you want to begin going on? Do you agree with me? Yes. That, is, that is not the start of a good vacation. And let me ask you this. How many marriages begin with two people who show up and who look at each other and go, okay, I'm here. Where are we going? You get it? You get it, because after you're married, that's exactly it. If you begin your marriage not knowing what the destination is, which I would say, I, in my mind, I bet it's in the 90 percentile of most people. And if you did say to them, what do you want your marriage to look like? Here's what, I want to have a good marriage. That's, that's not a destination. That's an emotion. That's a feeling. It's a, it's a nice idea, but it's not where you aim your marriage at. 
So in my beginning, or in my end, is my beginning. You've got to decide where you want to go before you ever head out in a direction. I'll, I'll tell you, so we, we start our summer vacation in a couple of weeks. We know we are going to Phoenix. We are staying in a house that our friends own down there because it is free. <laughs> All right, how about how many agree free is good? Yeah. Free is good. Free makes vacations happen, I can tell you right now. So we're going to Phoenix. All of our kids are coming. We found a way to get all the kids there. Uh, all the great kids will be there. We're going to have, it's got a pool in the back. It's a perfect deal. We love it. We're, we're so excited for it. I know exactly where it's at. I know exactly how to get there. We will not wake up on the morning of the vacation and go, hey, uh, should we get airline tickets or should we get in the car? Or do we want to go someplace hot or want to go someplace cold? Or do we want to stay home or do we want to go to the mountains? What are we? You don't do that. It's already pre-decided. So that's just not, I mean, that's logical. You pre-decide where you're going before you take the journey. Otherwise, you're wandering. Call it what it is. You may be married, but if you have no destination, you're wandering. You're wandering. All right, so I would say then, here's what I would, I would, I would say is a marriage truth. How do you want it to end? Greg, my friend, here's the question. How do you want your marriage to end? Because that's the beginning. That's what I mean when I say it is choosing the destination before you take the journey. Decide right. No one ever comes to my office and goes, Pastor, we passionately hate each other. Would you please marry us? No one ever comes to my office and goes, we will be married, I don't know, five, seven years, somewhere in there, tops. But would you perform our ceremony today and then bless us in seven years when we want to kill each other? Nobody ever does that. They come to my office and it's always for life. But we know that statistically, even inside the church, we're not safe from a 50% margin. What happens? Folks, what happens? Is it possible that people show up and they're going on a journey without knowing where they're going? I would tell you that's very much it. Most people do not decide how they want it to end before they begin. So now you're married for 20 years and you didn't make that decision. What do you do? Well, some people are going to be, I got to find the right person right now. We've got to back up 20 years. No, got some great news for you. I'll give you three things that you do. Number one, here's what you decide between the two of you tonight. What is the destination of your marriage going to be? Where do you want it to end? Don't leave here tonight going, we want a good marriage. Here's what you want to say. If you have not heard what I've taught, here's what you want to say. I'll give the whole thing away right now. The destination of your marriage is this. We want to both be passionately in love with Jesus. Because if that's our destination, then guess what? It'll work out this way. Did you hear me? If you've put all your effort into trying to make your marriage happen... I would say, man, look, good for you, nice try, but it probably won't turn out the way you think. You'll probably be very disappointed because you're dealing with a human entity. Go this way to go this way. Make your destination. We want to serve Jesus. We want him to be the Lord of our lives. I want to be passionately in love with him. I want to be experiencing God every day in my life so that when I am in my marriage, I know how to love I know how to give. I know how to prefer. I know how to forgive. Does it make any sense? 
So I would say to you tonight, here's what you do. You've married 20 years, you married 30 years, you married 40 years. If it's not what you want it to be, it's not too late to decide the destination. It's never too late to decide the destination. Isn't that the good news about the power of the gospel? What my cliche, I didn't read this or rip it off from anybody else. It's what God gave to me. The power of the gospel is this. It does not change your past. It changes your future. So I can't change the last 20 years of your marriage, but I could change the next 20 years. I can't erase anything that happened yesterday, but I might be able to change what happens tomorrow. If you aim this way rather than this way, Everything could change. All right, let me give you this. Second thing, no matter how far off, with a GPS, you can always find your way out of trouble, yes or no? So now here's one of the things that my staff pointed out to me at the teaching team on Tuesday morning. I think it was Pastor DeMay. Dan goes, um, he goes, with a good GPS, he said, you can always get back to where you need to go. So if we're talking to people tonight who have been married for a little while, I'm telling you, here's what you didn't hear on your wedding day. And maybe you're not at the place where you want to be in your marriage. What would you do? Well, just if you got lost in your car, a good GPS would help you. A good GPS shows you roads you can't see while sitting in your car. They might be right next to you, but you can't see them. So you flip the GPS on. It targets where you are in space and time. And then it helps you track where you need to go. Here's the good news. If you are married, you don't need to go back 20 years to get back on the right path. You need to flip on the GPS of the Holy Spirit in your life and ask God to show you, okay, pastor, what would I do tonight? I would say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to things I don't see, to roads I've never taken and to opportunities I've never considered. Maybe you should pray tonight, God be the Lord between both of us. Is that not, doesn't that sound yeah. I'm just trying to get the logic where you can't argue with it. So no matter how far off with a GPS, you can find your way out. The Holy Spirit is your GPS. When I was a kid, I was a Cub Scout for a little while. And um, they made us buy a compass to teach us how to use a compass. And I bought this little cheap cruddy compass. I think it cost, you know, two bucks or something. And it broke within a short time. But when I was looking at compasses, they had really nice ones that were hundreds of dollars. The best ones had oil inside of them, mineral oil that would float the needle and they would be guaranteed for life. Do you know one of the names of the Holy Spirit is that he is the oil of God. And when he is in your life, it is his oil. It floats a, yes or no, when the Holy Spirit directs your life, he'll give you ways to do things that other people don't know. You'll be a different businessman than you would be without the Holy Spirit. You're a different husband or a different wife with the Holy Spirit than you are without the Holy Spirit. And if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You may not exercise the Holy Spirit. You may never consider the Holy Spirit, but you have the Holy Spirit if you're born again. It may be a primary reason for why you need to be born again. Because to come tonight to go, Pastor, fix my marriage, but you don't serve God, I would say to you, maybe next to impossible to do. Does that make me a mean guy or a truthful pastor? A truthful pastor. 
trying to fix something that's a spiritual issue. You're going to fix it physically and it's a spiritual issue? Won't work. Give you the last one. The need to constantly recalibrate. No matter how good the GPS is, there's always a need to double check, are we going the right direction? Are we going the right direction? You agree with that? So 15 years ago, we plant this church. And after 15 years, there, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes, 4,000 people a week attend Jubilee services. Five campuses, uh, a staff that's, I, I don't know how many people we have on staff. I'm not sure. Do you know? Over 50. That's an okay answer. That's <laughs> It's a better answer than I had. It's not a great answer. Does anybody know how many people we have on staff? 71 people on staff? Okay, something, something like that. So let's, let's call it a big staff. We got a lot of people that work here. All right, here's what I know. We started 15 years ago. Church was small. The only one on staff was me. I did everything. Answered the telephone. I remember coming home being so depressed that the phone did not ring one time in like the whole week. And I told my wife, I said, nobody even cares if we're here. Nobody cares we planted this church. We could close the door and nope, nobody would even know that we're here. My wife has the foresight to tell me, just enjoy this right now because one day the phone will ring so much that you'll wish you could go back to these days. My God, you were right. My God, you were right. You, you, you and the Holy Spirit are like that. So I, I, I oh. I, we started it 15 years ago. It was very small. It was easily maneuverable. One of the things that happened after 15 years, it grew really big. And then I've used this. You probably heard this example. A college professor who in his class with his freshman class sits with three large jars. He fills them all with rocks and asks, are they filled? And all the students answer yes. So he takes gravel and he puts gravel in it. He's able to shake the jars and get gravel inside. Fills it to the rim. Is it filled now? And they say yes. So he takes sand and sand being smaller in molecules is able to work around the gravel. And then last but not least, he takes water and he gets water in there. So he's got four ingredients in there now and he's finally got it filled to the top and he asks them, okay, is it filled? And they agree with him. It is filled. And he goes, okay, what's the point? And they go, no matter how many things you have in your life, there's always room for a little more, right? Wrong. He goes, unless you get the big things in first, it's really hard to get them in later. Okay, so I use that paradigm. Listen, on this recalibrate issue, 15 years goes by and I look at the community in our church and here's what I realized. The church grew really big this way, but it grew really shallow this way. And I'm real disappointed in that. Because if we're not having community, what are we doing? If all you do is come and hear a message, but you don't give your life to something greater than that, what are you doing? I'm failing you as your pastor to let you think it's okay to just come and hear a message. You should give your life to the cause of Christ. Whether you do something else to earn your money is not the issue. You should serve him every day. Find some way to serve Christ with your life. It's the eternal benefit of giving your life to him. All right, so after 15 years, I look at it and I go, man, it's just not like that. But we didn't get it in there the first place, so what am I going to do? Here's what the Lord tells me. Take the jar, turn it upside down, dump everything out, and start again. Isn't that just like what God does with us on a regular basis? <laughs> that he doesn't lock us into what we've chosen and what we've done, but he allows us. Doesn't he allow forgiveness to be that very act where we can shake all the stuff out and start again? Isn't that what mercy is? Isn't that what grace is? Isn't that what it's all about? So here's what God tells me. 
It's not too late to add it to your church. Stand up and admit you're off course. You need to recalibrate. That's all that it is. We just need to recalibrate and then bring in the right people. So Terry and Brenda, we bring them in. We move them from doing all the, the stuff in AV and, and stuff that just is concerning a service because we know. I, I stood up here and I asked, of all of our pastors on staff, who's the connector? Everybody yells out, Pastor Terry. Yeah, he's got that personality. He just connects like nobody can connect. So I put him over that and say, Terry, your job is to develop community in our church. So, so many people thought that'll mean small groups. That's not what it meant. You can go to a small group and not have community. Jesus said, I'll build the church, you make disciples. Here's what we do today. We build the church and ignore the discipleship process. Amen. Terry's job for community is to make disciples, people that are committed to becoming like Christ together. Do you get it? That's really what marriage is. Marriage is the process of becoming like Christ together. That was good, wasn't it, Danny? Thanks, man. When a pastor says it's good, write it down, folks, because they've heard everything. I'm telling you, the process of marriage is like discipleship. It's becoming like Christ together. That's what you're aiming at. That's your destination. All right, so I come to the end of this. Here's what we did. Um, I shared it with Chris, and Chris said, oh, I've got this perfect song I heard this week that would just match so well that message. So she pulls this video up, and I watched this video, and I thought, that is a great video. I'm going to close with this video, and then I'm going to pray for you. Chris and I are going to pray for the marriages in this church. So I want you to watch this video real quick. If you're married in particular, um, I want you to pay attention to what you're about to say here. Nobody's growing old together We've made it easy just to quit Love has become a negative percentage Why do we bother to commit? We've got a long list of excuses Ways we try to justify well, I propose to you the truth is Marriage does not have to die I know you're feeling like it's falling apart And it can't go on anymore But God is a God who knows how to heal So just give it up to the he will restore He said with this ring I promise And with I do she said forever But right now if they're being honest They don't know if they'll stay together Fast forward to the future After struggling on their own They finally figured out They needed Jesus in the middle Now I'm watching God rebuild their home I know you feel 
video to fit what I would try to communicate. It's easy to get off course. It's you could be a marriage man. You love Jesus. That's why you're here on a Saturday night. It's just admit you're here because you love God. You're probably here also because you're interested in what happens in your marriage. You probably want to have the best one that you can have. So you come, maybe you've read 15 books and you've recognized, man, we've tried everything in the books and it's not working. Because when it's a spiritual issue, physical things don't fix spiritual issues. Does that make sense? So you come to the end and here's your pastor telling you, decide how you want it to end right now. You should go. We want it to end where we both are passionately in love with Christ. I don't even want you to say we want to end with a good marriage. It's the wrong destination. We want to end, both of us, disciples of Jesus, loving on him so that we can love on each other. Does that make sense? All right, so then I, I would say this. If you are a single and you hear this and you go, uh, okay, so pastor, you know, it didn't work the way that you said it would work. Maybe you didn't practice what I'm saying. So I would say this, you could start out even on this road, but if you don't recalibrate constantly, you'll find yourself in the beginning, it's only an inch, but after 20 years, you're off by miles. And it's hard to pull back when you're that far gone, isn't it? It's easier to quit. It's easier to trade in and start over. And I'm really calling you not to do that, but to say where I am, I'm going to call God to help us and ask for supernatural intervention. That's what I'm talking about. So I asked my wife, would you come up here? I'm so proud of you. If you're married, grab your spouse's hand. Sir, you do it because you're the leader. Don't sit there and wait for your wife to do it. Part of the problem is too many men are waiting for their wives to make the first move. You're the leader. Be the man. Here's what you're saying by doing this. I'm calling on God tonight. I'm not going to ask you to pray. Maybe you don't feel spiritually like, hey, I'm that great of a prayer, great, that great of a leader. Here's what you're saying to your wife by grabbing your hand. I want to see this happen for us. Yes. We agree on that? I want to see this happen for us. I want it to happen in our lives. All right, so Father, here's what I'm asking. God, three things. One, that you intervene. Maybe there are marriages here tonight where people have felt, just maybe that video hit it. If they're being honest, they don't know if they're going to stay together. Folks, it's okay to be honest, but it's not okay to stay at that place of, I'm not sure if we're going to be together. Make a decision tonight. We are going to commit it to God and allow him to get involved in the process right now. Second thing that I would pray for, if you're just off, if you just like what I said about being bored or just not into it and just disengaged with your feelings, whatever, it's time to recalibrate. It's time to ask the Holy Spirit for guidance and direction right now. So I would ask the Lord to show you specific things that you can do, things that would be for your spouse, for your marriage, for your situation. Maybe they're not generic. Maybe they wouldn't fit in in every situation, but they'd fit in in your situation. Do you believe that God could say things to you 
of how you could reach your spouse, of how you could open your heart to your spouse. I would just ask that the Holy Spirit would help you to recalibrate and he would be that direction in your life and that compass. And then the last one, I just would simply pray this. Maybe you came into this room tonight and you don't know Christ. Maybe you just heard we're doing a marriage message. Maybe your spouse invited you. Maybe you showed up not knowing what was going to happen tonight and you found yourself being drawn into something where, hey, I get it, my eyes are open to it and I recognize I need that relationship. Here's what I would say to you real quick. If you're here and you recognize you're not in a relationship with God, you've never said to him, I need your mercy, I need your grace, I need you to forgive me, I need your life. You know, you can't give what you don't have. I'll just make the statement again. You can go home and say, I want to have a great marriage, but if you don't get it spiritually, you're not going to be able to give spiritually, and your marriage is a spiritual issue, believe it or not. So I would just pray for you. If you're just here tonight and you don't know Christ, and you just say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you remember me as you pray? If that's you, just, hey, even just slip your hand up right now. Just pray for me, John. Remember me. Maybe at any of our campuses, any of our people, just pray for me tonight. I just need Jesus. Need to know about him. Need to make him the Lord of my life, or the Lord of my marriage right now. Need to have that relationship with him. So any of our campuses at all, here's what you pray. Father, have mercy on me. God, be good to me tonight. Forgive me and draw me in. Thank you for hearing my prayer.